All right, if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew. From Matthew 25, I'm just going to read it. This is the beginning of Matthew 25, I think it's verse 1, if my memory serves me correct. It says, And as he, which is Jesus, sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of your coming, and of the end of the world. That's some heavy stuff, the end of the world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, I pray that you anoint this word, Lord. Speak through me, Lord, and uh, please hide me, Lord. Speak through me, Lord, your words. Give us ears to hear, Lord, and the hearts to receive it. And uh, bless this word today, Lord. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. So the King James Version says the disciples are asking a question. He's already said something to them. In fact, I think it's 24-1 maybe or 25-1. I didn't write it down. It's on my memory here. Um, But he just came out of some events in chapter 23. So it must be 24-1. 24-3, okay. That's the first time I've ever not wrote my passage down. But Jesus had just finished... Um, certain events, and so they're asking him questions, which we'll get into in a second about those events. And so they're sitting on the Mount of Olives, and they're questioning him privately over something he said publicly. And what he said publicly really upset them. And so look how heavy this last question is. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? How many know this is pretty heavy stuff? And so the title of my message is The End. The End. Have you ever, um, when I say the words, the end, in fact, this is part one. I'd really cut my notes down because I had 27 pages. So I had to cut it down to 12. So we'll see how I do. But this is part one. And so this week, uh, in the past week, uh, how many have ever heard in the Bible of the prophecy called Gog and Magog? Anybody ever heard of that prophecy in the Bible, Ezekiel 38 and 39? And uh, this week on Twitter, which is amazing, that was actually, um, um, what do you call it, Um, trending. Yeah, there we go. It was trending on Twitter this week. Gog and Magog, which I didn't even believe there was that much Bible literacy for that to even um, uh, trend on Twitter. But it was trending because so many people were interesting, interested in learning about Gog and Magog. Why? Because um, uh, Russia was having a meeting with Iran, and during that meeting they also had a meeting with Turkey, which are three of the main characters in the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war in the Bible that is supposed to take place in the last days. So that's one issue that I want to cover in this series of messages. I won't cover it today, but I do feel like we need to cover uh, some of these last day issues. And sometimes when you study uh, prophetic scriptures in the Bible, like if I were to study Thessalonians, which we went through a whole study in First and Second Thessalonians. It's going to cover the rapture. It's going to go into the Antichrist. It's going to go into part of the tribulation. And it covers parts. Um, and then Revelation is a major study. And boy, you could, get, you could be in Revelation for a year and barely touch the surface. And so you're going to cover, but you're mostly going to cover in Revelation that seven-year period called the tribulation. Okay, it's mostly covering prophecy in that area. But if I were to tell somebody, where is the best place to get a real good summary of what's going to happen at the end, I would tell them to go to Jesus' conversation that he had on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. Because Jesus gives a full summary 
of everything that happens in Thessalonians and Revelation in one little, one quick, very um, uh, efficient um, explanation to his disciples right before he dies. And so I'm going to try to paint the picture of what was happening. This is called, um, if you study the Bible, this is called the Olivet Discourse. Are these lights as bright as they go? I guess we're used to having sunshine in here, aren't, aren't we? Do they go any brighter? Okay, perfect. Great. That was making me sleepy, and I'm speaking. All right. Um, but this is called the Olivet Discourse. And one thing you need to recognize about the Olivet Discourse is it takes place between two very important events. Um, in fact, there are 23 chapters in Matthew, and in those 23 chapters... In Matthew, Matthew is specifically written to show that Jesus is showing himself to the Jewish people and in every way he starts off with his genealogy. Then he goes through every part of his life where he presents himself as the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for uh, since the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. It was prophesied that this Messiah would come. And finally, Matthew goes through every detail of his life and it tells you that this is the person that we have been waiting for. And Matthew 23 is the summary of his entire ministry He finally gets to the end of it, and uh, at the end of his ministry is Matthew chapter 23, and he goes to the scribes, the teachers of the law, and the Pharisees, and he does not hold back on them. In fact, it's the chapter where he prophetically speaks what's called the woes to them. Okay, we don't know that word, we don't hear it very much, but a word that we do know is the word horror. H-O-R-R-O-R, which is what the word means. It means something so terrible is about to happen to you, and I'm speaking it over you. It's judgment. How many know that? And so through Matthew 23, he's speaking judgment over the Jewish people because the scribes and the Pharisees led the people in rebellion to reject him as the Messiah. So at the very end of that chapter in Matthew 23, 37, it says this, listen, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Think about that. I wanted to gather you together and protect you, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's how he ends his ministry with the Jewish leaders. And so he tells them, your house will become desolate and I will not return again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this becomes a very key verse. In fact, do you know that uh, the gospel can be preached to everybody in the entire world, right? And if the Jews do not say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the Lord will not return. Did you know that? In fact, it is totally dependent on the Jews receiving their Messiah and actually saying the words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when they do that, he will return. So Jesus has spoken judgment and says, I presented myself to you, you rejected me, and now your house will be left desolate. And so now he goes out of the city for the last time in his ministry He leaves the temple, okay, goes to the Mount of Olives, which is just down a valley, and then he goes up to the top of the Mount of Olives where he's overlooking the temple, okay, and four of his disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, pull him aside privately, and they want to question him about something. Whatever it is, it's very serious, and the thing that they want to question him about is, he tells them... That that temple that you're looking at, in fact, in verses 1 through 3, 
it says that the question that they ask is, the disciples are all looking at this temple and they're saying, wow, this temple's amazing. And they're asking Jesus if he got to look at it and if he thinks it's amazing. And can I tell you, this temple was amazing. In fact, it was one of the wonders of the ancient world. Um, in the ancient world, there were several things that were considered marvels of the ancient world. And many people say that this was the greatest of the marvels of the ancient world. They said when you came over the hill and seen this temple, it was beautiful. In fact, uh, Herod the Great had started building this in about 20 A.D., and this is around 33 A.D., 32, 33. So they've been building this thing for 53 years, and these stones are still there today. They're called Herodian stones, and they're 12 to 14 feet um, large stones called Herodian stones. They're very unique. If you see them up close, they're massive, and they're one on top of another and built this temple. And this temple was gold. So you came across the hill of Mount of Olives, and you looked at that temple, and it shined like a diamond almost. I mean, it was golden, and everything had gold on it. It just shined. And so Jesus really knows how to upset people. Um, In fact, I think sometimes we underestimate Jesus as a prophet. Jesus is the greatest prophet that ever walked the face of the earth. And so Jesus, uh, they asked him at the beginning of this chapter, in chapter 24, they said, did you get a look at that massive building, those beautiful stones? What do you think? And he says, there won't be one stone left upon another. All going to be destroyed. And then he walks up the Mount of Olives. And so, can you imagine that? 53 years to build it. In fact, they would spend another 30 years building this building. They would finish the building in about 64 AD. Okay, like almost 30 years after Jesus made this prophecy. They would finish the building about 64 AD. So they spent roughly about 80 years building the building. It was massive, 10 to 12 feet stones. Um, Just massive. Can you imagine the biggest, most beautiful building in the world right now? And Jesus said, you know what? That's not going to be here in a few years. It's all going to be destroyed. So now you see why they're so upset. And so you mix that with, there's several prophecies in the Bible about the destruction of the temple and having to do with the return of the Messiah. So they're a little confused. So they, they four of them decide to pull him privately. And that's the conversation we have here. And they say, Jesus, tell us, When shall these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? Do you see that there are three questions there? When will this temple be destroyed? What is the sign of your coming? And when is the end of the world? Now, how many people have ever watched a movie and you like that movie And then you see those two words on the screen. The end. Have you ever watched a good movie and you're like, oh man, really? And you just sit there and I've been in theaters where everybody just sat there and said, man, I wish there was more. Then I've been in movies where everybody sat there and thought, that's the worst movie I've ever seen. I mean, they are terrible at making movies. I mean, I've been in both of those. How many have ever um, had somebody spoil a movie? Like they go to the movie, they've already seen it, and right as something gets ready to happen, they go, here it comes. It's getting ready to happen. Watch out. Or they tell you exactly what's going to happen. And sometimes we watch life like a movie. We're watching this movie play out of the end times. And we're kind of like that person that hasn't seen it yet. You know what I mean? And if you haven't watched the movie and you don't know how it ends, how many know there's fear? There's doubts. There's all kinds of emotions 
that affect you. And so Jesus did not want that to happen to his disciples. He didn't want anybody to go into this thing and not know what's going to happen. He wants us to understand the end. And he wants us to be prepared for the end. Now, how many have ever been that person that's watched it like 10 times? And you're in there and you're just so confident and so cool. And you're just like, yeah, I've seen it 10 times. And can I tell you that when you know the word of God, you don't have to be caught unaware. You don't have to be surprised. In fact, there's a lot of uh, fear There's a lot of doubts. There's a lot of uncertainty. And and we see everything that's going on in the news right now, right? We see a one world government. Some of you say, let's go right on that subject. And I want to talk about some of those things. This is the end part one. But I want to go into what Jesus says is going to happen in the last days. I want to go over this Ezekiel 38, 39 war. I want to go over some of Revelation. I want to go over some of the the things that are going on in the world right now because there are lots of things on the stage right now and God wants us to be ready. And so the first thing I want to look at, and like I said, I can only go so far today, but I'm going to continue on this subject each time I preach. And so these are heavy subjects, so we've got a preaching rotation, so I'll be mixed into the preaching rotation, so it's not so heavy. There'll be different subjects, different weeks. But I'm going to be staying on the end, part one, and then however far I have to go, just to kind of inform, you know, of what's going on. So the first thing I want to look at is the end. Um, Jesus, in this scripture, the King James Version they interpret it, what is the sign of the end of the world? And the New King James Version, it says, what is the sign of your coming and the end of this age? The New American Standard says, what's the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And it turns out this is probably not the best interpretation to say end of the world. Because that word that is used there uh, means the completion of a time period. Completion of an age, if you want to say it that way. And so the ages, the two ages that uh, historically, biblically, Old Testament, New Testament that they're talking about is the age that we currently live in and the messianic age that's coming. So at the coming of the Lord, He will set up a kingdom where he rules and reigns on this earth. And the reason I point that out is that because you make a mistake there. In fact, it says here in the um, um, Bible dictionary, it says the KJV is misleading in rendering this word into the world. It actually, when it's put along with eon, age or epoch, uh, this expression actually means consummation of the age, reaching the intended Uh, consummated conclusion okay so there is going to be an end of the age that we live in everything we understand our world as we know it will come to a end and that is a brutal word end right and so we we need to be ready and we need to know what the end is going to look like in the bible what it's going to look like in the last days what kind of changes we should expect to see Right? And so I want to try to inform what the end is going to be like and what it looks like according to the Bible and how to be ready. But the second thing I want to look at is is this the end? Is this the end? And I, uh, man, I was listening to a, uh, I listened to a lot of different uh, teachers on different things in the Bible. And I was listening to one the other day and, and the guy was saying, well, you know, this is a, uh, uh, one world government takeover. We see all these things happening. We see, you know, the changes and the different things. And he said, just, just let it go because this is what's prophesied. But what if this isn't the end? And see, the Bible doesn't say that we know the day or the hour. 
And so what if this isn't the end? See, all I can do is tell you what the end looks like. I can tell you this is what it looks like. These are the things you're going to see. This is what the characteristics of it are. But I don't know the day or the hour and neither do you and neither do the angels in heaven and Jesus and his humanity didn't know it. His omniscience he knew it. Divinely he knew it. But in his humanity he didn't. And so anybody that tells you that yes, we absolutely are there, be very cautious. Because this is what it's going to look like. We can define it, but we don't know when it's going to come. And so that why I say that is the Bible says that the church will prevail. The church will win. And so as long as we're here, we are to fight evil. We're to fight all the things that the enemy brings upon this world that is evil. We're to stand up and do the right thing. We don't just give in and say, well, this is the end. It's supposed to happen. The Antichrist is going to do this and that and this and that. We're to stand up and do the right thing. How many know that? We are. But there's going to come a day when there will be. And when that day comes, we better be able to recognize it. Because how many know when Adolf Hitler, you know, Adolf Hitler, you could have been convinced that he was Antichrist. And there were a lot of people that were in Germany at that time that were trying to figure out morally, what do we do? In fact, there were a lot of Christian ministers that wrestled with that question because they started to see what he was doing. And finally, a lot of them just came to the conclusion that is, uh, when evil runs rampant, we've got to at least put a spoke in the wheel. We've got to do everything in our power to slow this down. And how many are glad they did that? And so we've got to know that we've got to fight. As long as the church is here, we've got to fight. The, the, the next question I have is, when is the end for you? When is the end for you? I mean, it would be nice if our end coincided with the book of Revelation and our end was at the rapture or at the end of the seven year period and they all just neatly coincided with the very end of the book. But how many know most people in the history of the world, that's not how it ended. Most people in the history of the world, it ended with death. And after death, we all have to face the judgment. So a lot of people can be preoccupied with revelation, preoccupied with prophecy, and never give one consideration that my end could come today, or my end could come tomorrow. And so we've got to think about it when we say the end, we've got to come to the understanding that our end could be at any moment. And so that's the most important thing is where do I stand with the Lord right now because my life could say the end at any moment and I want to be ready to stand before Christ. And so that's why we're here today. Hallelujah. So we go and we look at the the setting here and it says in uh, Matthew chapter 24, 1, it says in Jesus went to the temple, and when he was going his way, his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. But he answered and said unto them, See you not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be one left, one stone upon another, they shall all be thrown down. And so this is the statement that really, really upset them. And so they pull him aside. Can you see it? That beautiful temple sitting there in the and the city of Jerusalem, and them sitting on this mountain, four of them. And um, here's what you have to understand about it. What would your behavior be if you had Jesus all to yourself, and you can ask him anything? And that's what's happening here. Because Matthew, there's pretty good evidence... Now, some people will say Mark was the first book, but history and logic, every bit of the early fathers said that Matthew was the first book written in Hebrew 
And they gave all the details of a lot of the things that Jesus said. But in order to understand this teaching on prophecy of Jesus, you have to put all three Gospels together that mention this conversation. In fact, the three different Gospels that mention this prophetic conversation from Jesus, Matthew 24 and 25, Mark 13, and Luke 21. So I'll be bouncing around to all three of those to show you the things that Jesus taught them concerning the end. How many of you want to know, what did Jesus teach about the end? Because everything that Jesus said, let me know the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's the one revealing the last days. So everything that Jesus said on the Mount of Olives lines up with the book of Revelation. But you may not know this. The book of Revelation was written around 95 A.D. Jesus spoke these word, words in the early 30s. So how many know they did not have the book of Revelation for about 60 years. So how do you, what do you think they looked at to know about the last days before they got the book of Revelation? They in detail studied everything Jesus said about the end of the world. And so they carefully studied it. And then when Paul came along, Paul comes along in the, in the 50s, which is about you know, 15, 20 years later, and guess where Paul gets his teaching about the end of time from Jesus' teaching. He didn't have the book of Revelation. So Jesus' teaching is the foundation of all prophecy. Then Paul comes along and he sheds light on what Jesus said, follows the same construction, and then 60 years after Jesus, John, who's one of his closest friends, writes the book of Revelation, and it's Jesus that's given him the revelation. And so as we look at this, a lot of people get confused as they look through the, uh, the Olivet Discourse. And so as you look at it, what you have to understand is Jesus is answering three questions here. Okay, the three questions are, it says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, this is Matthew 24, 3. The disciples came to him privately and said, tell us what, when the, shall these things be? Now, what things is he talking about? When shall these things be? What's the first question talking about? I know I'm teaching on Sunday morning. I don't usually do that. The temple being destroyed. So they want to know, when is this going to happen? You know, when is this temple going to be destroyed? Then they say, tell us when these things shall be. What is the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? So when they say the sign of his coming, what are they talking about? No. See, the Jews would not even think about the rapture because the event that's after this, that's a good guess though, really good guess. Uh, But right after this is what's called the upper room discourse. So you got to know the events on either side. The event before this is um, um, the event before this is where he's talking to the Jewish people and he's they're rejecting him as Messiah. The event after this, after the Mount of Olives, is the Last Supper. And so the Last Supper, Judas will leave, and then Jesus will begin to explain to them about the rapture of the church. That's the first time he really teaches on it, and he says, "I'm going." to prepare a place for you, and if I go there, I will bring you with me. And so it's the first time they've ever heard this. It's a mystery that's being being revealed, and they're just beginning to understand the rapture. But before that, he's on the Mount of Olives, and when they hear coming, they're thinking about the change in the two ages. They're thinking we're going from the current world to the messianic world, where Jesus rules and reigns. And so this is Jesus coming in his glory, uh, stepping foot on the earth and setting up his messianic kingdom. So they want to know, what is the sign of you coming on this earth? And then they say, and of the end of the world. So they want the sign of his coming and the sign of the end of the world. Now Luke does it differently. And see, here's what you have to understand. If Jesus has a long conversation Matthew 24 and 25 is not the only questions and answers there are. Luke has different questions and different answers. 
Mark has a little bit different questions and a little bit different answers. So you have to read all three to figure out the whole conversation. So Luke says it this way, and they asked him, saying, Teacher, when therefore shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of these things about to come to pass? Now what are they talking about? What are the, when shall these things be? What is that question? Remember what they just heard from him. When will this temple be destroyed? And what will be the sign these things are about to happen? So when will the temple be destroyed? And what is the sign the temple will be destroyed? That's a different question. They're not asking about the coming. They're asking about the temple. Okay, so we have different answers. So Jesus gets ready to answer these questions. But before he answers the questions... he begins to give characteristics. So Jesus answered to them. And he said to them, Take heed or be careful that no man will lead you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will lead many astray, and shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you not be troubled. These things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So he hasn't answered the question yet. But what does he do? He says, be careful, because here's what's going to happen, but this is not the end, and this is not a sign. This is going to happen all the time. So Jesus was the first one to come and say that he was the Messiah. But immediately after Jesus' death and resurrection, guess what begins to pop up from that time until now? False antichrists, false messiahs. Many wars, many rumors of wars. And he's saying, don't be fooled. And guess what we did for the last 2,000 years? We've been fooled every time a false messiah came. In fact, we've had, if you look, if I were to teach, I've got a book at home called 50 Different People That Were Messiahs. And it gives the details of different movements over the history of the world that were false messiahs. Um, do you know that, um, um, in fact, I could give you so many just here. Uh, how many have ever heard of Joseph and Hiram Smith? False messiahs. How many have ever heard of uh, Charles Taz Russell? False messiahs. Uh, how many have ever heard of Muhammad? False messiahs. And so what we find from the time of Christ, in fact, I could give you hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of false messiahs. And hundreds of people that said the end of the world is now. In fact, if you follow the teachings of the false messiahs, I could literally teach all year and not run out of false messiahs. And Jesus said, when you hear the rumors of wars, you hear the wars. Um, first of all, just be careful because you're going to see this. You're going to see all kinds of people. How many have ever read on the internet here and there, this is the end, that is the end, this is the end, that is the end. And what does it do to you? It does exactly what he says. Take heed that no man lead you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will lead many astray. You share wars of rumors of wars. See that you not be troubled. These things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So these are not the signs. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't answer the question, but he first tells them just to be careful because you're going to see a lot of false signs. And so, false signs, uh, how many know it can get us really out of whack? And I don't think if you know the Bible really well, you'll fall for it. If you're really careful to be led by the Holy Spirit, you know the Word of God, it's very difficult uh, to get fooled by false messiahs. Very difficult to get fooled. But if you don't know the Word of God, it's very easy to get fooled. So he goes on and he says in Matthew 24, 7 and 8, He says, but for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and earthquakes in diverse places, but all these things are the beginning of travail. So Jesus does identify signs that are the beginning of travail. And so what are the signs that are the beginning of travail? And I'm going to get into this next week, but Jesus is actually following 
the pattern of the book of Revelation. You know, the signs, what is the first horse uh, of the seven seals? The first horseman that comes through? The Antichrist. How many remember the white horse? And then the next horse, the red horse, is what? War. What is the third horse? Famine. What is the fourth horse? Death. What is the sixth seal? Massive earthquake. And so Jesus is following the pattern of the book of Revelation. He's saying, hey, there will be false Christ. How many know that every generation, Satan has tried to put forth his Antichrist? Every generation, Satan is a... In fact, in Revelation, when Satan is called a beast, it's because he is an animal that has a nature. I think that's why they call him a beast. Because how many know if you have a dog... A dog has a nature. You can pretty well predict a dog, can't you? A cat, you can kind of predict. They're unpredictable. <laughs> but animals have natures, and, and, and Satan, the Antichrist, is a beast in the Bible because he has a nature. What is the nature of the beast? To be the alternative to Christ. He wants to rule and reign like Christ. He wants to be omniscient like Christ. He wants to be omnipresent like Christ. He wants to sit in the throne of God. So every time Satan gets the opportunity, what does he do? He's a beast. And so every generation, he try, Satan has his antichrist. He has somebody that steps forward. And that's why uh, Jesus said, beware, because there's always, but there's going to be one generation There's going to be one generation, it's all going to come together. And the seven-year tribulation does not start until the signing of the agreement between the Antichrist and Israel. That's the one sign from Daniel chapter 9 that says very clearly that that is the beginning of um, the tribulation, the seven-year period. So we've got to know that until that happens... Um, we are not in tribulation. In fact, Thessalonians, they were very worried. They were afraid. They were like, we're afraid we missed the coming of, or the rapture of the church. And we think we were left here and we're in the tribulation because somebody told us we're in the tribulation. And so Paul was trying to comfort them and say, no, you're not in the tribulation. Had you been in the tribulation, there would have been the great taking away and there would have been the Antichrist. And he would be present right now. So you're not in the tribulation because these things did not happen. And so he's trying to make them feel comforted that they're not in the tribulation. And so um, what he's saying here is, um, he says "There's these are the definite signs. When you begin to see the kingdom against kingdom, this is the wars... This is the famines, this is the uh, earthquake, all the things that are happening in early Revelation. Jesus is actually going through, in fact, we'll, we'll get into it in detail next week, but he goes through all the different things that happen in the first three and a half years of, uh, of the tribulation. A lot of people don't know that. When you go through chapter 24 and 25 of Matthew, Jesus is actually going through um, the signs in the first three and a half years He stops at the abomination that causes desolation. And then he goes through the next three and a half years of the tribulation. And then he ends it with his second coming. And here's the sign that the world is going to see at my second coming. So I'm going to go through that next week. And we're going to take our time. And we're going to look. But Jesus lays out the whole book of Revelation uh, while sitting on a mountain overlooking the temple. Isn't that amazing? And so he goes on and he does even a lot more than that. Um, he begins to explain that these are the signs, these are the uh, tribulation um, horsemen that are going to come through. And then he stops in Luke and he answers a question for him. Listen to how awesome this question is. So he stops. And in Luke, this is Luke 21, I think it's verse 12. But it says... And this is the key word, but before all these things, he stops. He talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse in Revelation, but then he stops and he says, but before all these things, they shall lay hands on you 
They shall persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues, prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my namesake. It shall turn out, it shall turn out unto you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth of wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to withstand or to gainsay. But you shall be delivered up even by parents, brethren, kinsfolk, and friends. And some of you shall cause to put to death, and you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, and shall not a hair on your head perish. In your patience you will win many souls. He stops here, and he says, before the tribulation ever happens, this is what's going to happen to you, my disciples. And so he accurately says nine different things that are going to happen to the early church. In fact, he tells his disciples exactly what they're going to do to them, to the detail. Number one, verse 12, it says, they'll be rejected by the Jews. Did that happen? They're rejected by the Jews. And then verse 12b says they will be rejected by the Gentiles. Verse 13, it says they will undergo persecution, uh, but the persecution will provide uh, opportunities for them to give testimonies. Uh, Number four, it says they will succeed in proclaiming the gospel everywhere. Did they do that? Then it says in 1415, they don't have to worry about preparing what to say before their trials. They will be given divine utterance before judgment. Did that happen? In fact, Acts gives all the details of all the things. Jesus is prophesying this stuff. In fact, think about this. He prophesied destruction of the temple. He prophesied everything his disciples would go through over the next several years. Uh, then he says in a sixth thing, he says, verse 16, they will be rejected by their own family members. Verse 17, they will be hated by all men to the point that they will be martyred. Were they martyred? Awesome. Verse 18, it says their salvation will be assured. And verse 19 says they'll win many souls. It said they turned the world upside down. There were so many. Now listen to this, and I'm going to have to close with this because I, man, I didn't get through nearly as much as I wanted to. But then Jesus does another thing. In Luke chapter 21, what was the question they asked in Luke 21? They asked, when will this temple be destroyed, right? Now listen how detailed Jesus' prophecy is. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded with armies, okay, this is pretty easy, isn't it? When you see Jerusalem surrounded with armies, what do we do, Lord? When you see them surrounded with armies, Know that her desolation is at hand. That makes total sense, doesn't it? When there are armies surrounding the city, it's about to be destroyed. That's kind of logical, okay? But here's where it gets illogical. Let them that are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let them that are in the midst of her depart out. Okay, now it doesn't make sense. If you're in the middle of the city and you're surrounded by armies, how do you get out? You ever think about that? If the city is surrounded by armies and you're under siege, how do you get out from the middle of her? And so it says, let them in Judea flee to the mountains. Let them that are in the midst depart. Let them that are in the country uh, not enter in the city. These are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Woe unto them that are with child and to them... um, which nurse in those days, for there shall be great distress upon the land, wrath unto the people, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and they shall be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentiles till the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now what is he giving them directions there for? He deals with the current time, and next week we're going to get into the future because he gives future instructions And he gives instructions for that generation. And in Luke, he's given instructions for that generation. And get this. Listen very carefully. If we could trust him in the past, how many know we can trust him when I give you the future stuff next week? Or whenever I preach next. Okay, here's the history. Listen very carefully. The first Jewish revolt broke out against the Romans. This is around 66 AD, I believe. There was a Jewish revolt... So the Roman general, Cestus Gallus, came in with armies from Caesarea and surrounded Jerusalem. Okay, if you are a Jewish Christian living in Jerusalem 
and Cestus Gallus has surrounded Jerusalem, okay, and he's about to destroy the city, what did Jesus say to do? Leave, get out of there. But how do I do it? We're surrounded. It says, Cestus Gallus was sieging the city and surrounded it, and he noticed his supply lines were not secure. So he did not have enough supplies to maintain the extended siege. So he lifted the siege of Jerusalem in order to go back to Caesarea. Caesarea is on the coast. Okay, so he traveled a pretty good distance away. They crossed the Jordan River. Oh, I'm sorry. On the way, he was attacked by Jewish forces and killed. Temporarily, the city was no longer surrounded by armies. So every believer in Christ who was Jewish was able to leave the city. How many know they followed his instructions to the detail? And they say every single Jewish believer in Christ left the city. They crossed the Jordan, set up a new community in the town of Pella. They were joined by believers from Judea, Galilee, and the Golan Heights. They waited for the prophecy of Jesus to be fulfilled. Two years later, in AD 68, the Roman general by the name of Vespasian and his son Titus besieged the city again, and in the year 70, the city and the temple were destroyed. One million, one hundred thousand Jews were killed in the final siege. Jesus is the greatest prophet that ever walked on the face of the earth. Now what's amazing is next week, or whenever I preach the next time, is it next week? Two weeks? Two weeks. Um, he gives this almost the same prophecy. It sounds very similar, but it's different. In Matthew, he gives a prophecy of what's going to happen to Jerusalem when the abomination that causes desolation is set up. And how many know, he says, then after these things, do this. So in one place in Luke, he tells them what to do in their generation And then in Matthew, he tells them what to do in the last days. And most people that read that don't know that. And so we're going to go, and I'm just going to take my time and go through Jesus' prophecies because he tells us exactly what's going to happen in the end. You don't have to be surprised. And I will tell you, I'm, I'm never surprised. You know, I watch the news, and I'm never fearful. I'm never... Uh, doubtful, never disturbed, never uncomfortable, because I've watched the movie, I've read the movie, I've read the book, I know what's going to happen. In church, we don't have to be. And that's why I want to do these series of messages, because I want you to be ready. I want everybody to be ready for the end, you know, because it may come in our lifetime, or it may come through death. But how many know um, the Bible says that to die is gain? And I can even have joy in my death. Hallelujah. That's what we want. There to be joy, you know, that we went in the presence of the Lord and we left this old dirty world. Hallelujah. (laughs) I mean, I'm ready to be with the Lord. Hallelujah. But we got work to do, church. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. And um, Lord, I just pray that you would, um, Lord, let us be like your disciples that just sat at your feet. And learned, Lord, uh, some amazing things from an amazing prophet. Lord, nobody knew um, the details of uh, everything that the future holds like you did, Lord. And we just want to be taught of you. And Lord, we want to prepare ourselves properly and uh, know the word and uh, just not be surprised, Lord. And and be able to teach others, Lord, about your word. And, um, and Lord, I just pray that you bless everybody here. Lord, if there are those here that aren't ready today to be with you, Lord, I just pray that they would um, um, seek somebody out, Lord, that can make them right with you, Lord, that can uh, introduce them uh, to salvation, to the, to the person, the only one, the one whose name is salvation. And uh, anybody that has troubled and stressed and, and uh, fearful, Lord, I pray that you would uh, give them the peace that comes from heaven and um, that they would just rest in that, Lord God, in you. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said...
Amen. And if you need prayer today, I'm just going to open it up. We, we don't stop praying whenever the service is over. If you need prayer today, if you need prayer during the week, if you need prayer after everybody leaves, we're here to help you through any of that struggles that you have with life or understanding. Or um, If I had three hours, I would I'd sit here and go through this whole thing. But I had to narrow my notes from 27 to 12 today, and I got through eight. So we're going to keep digging in this. Hallelujah. Now, if you need prayer, we're, we're going to sing one song, and then I'll close. Hallelujah. God, how many uh, are just happy today to have a God that knows the end from the beginning? I take such joy in knowing that God is sovereign, and He tells us the end from the beginning. When I read those prophecies of Jesus Christ, prophecies in the Bible, it just brings joy to me to know that He isn't surprised. You know, God doesn't pick up the paper and say, what happened? What he doesn't do that. He's like, they're doing what over there at the United Nations? What is going on? He doesn't do that. Hallelujah. And I think that we forfeit the peace that he has for us by thinking he does that. <laughs> know that he's in control. Hallelujah. He uses, he uses the wicked to fulfill his plans. The sooner we figure that out, the more we can walk in peace. Hallelujah. If you hear a message called the end and it makes you sad, we don't know the word. It should get us excited and make us happy and know that, man, it's going to be real soon. We're going to be with the Lord. He's got a plan and nothing can stop it. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, just uh, build the confidence in your people in you, Lord. Lord, we've had confidence in ourselves. We've had confidence in the world. We've had confidence in money. We've had confidence in people. But Lord, it's all been shattered. And Lord, I pray that we would have confidence in you. Have confidence in your word. Oh, Lord, that we would hide in you and uh, live in peace and joy and and uh, trust you with everything, Lord. And uh, do that for your people today. Bless them. Send them out of this place full of your spirit, Lord. Bless them today, Lord. In your name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah.